So why are Palestinians turning to China? Uh, welcome to this. This is our 75th edition of Palestine Deep Dive. And to answer that question and many others today, I'm joined by our very old friend, Ian Williams, who is president of the Foreign, uh, Foreign Correspondents Association in New York. He's a columnist on the Washington Report on Middle East Affairs. Uh, he's an academic, he's an author, and famously, of course, has more columns than the Parthenon. Um, Ian, welcome. Uh, he joins us from New York. Uh, my name is Mark Seddon. I, I used to work for Al Jazeera in New York as well, uh, which is that I knew Ian from many years before when we worked together on the Tribune newspaper. Uh, I went on to work at the United Nations as a speechwriter to Ban Ki-moon and worked for the president of the general, one of the presidents of the General Assembly. I think it's absolutely right that we should be discussing this issue because few others are. And yet something interesting has happened over the past two, three weeks, because I think a lot of people were very surprised when they suddenly saw images of President Xi of China greeting President Mahmoud Abbas in Beijing. And all the more so because this really was a state event. It had all the pomp and the trappings and the flags. Um, and um, in a way, you could see more of the Palestinian flag in, uh, than you can see in Israel itself, because, of course, it's banned. Um, but all of this contrasted with um, the appearance uh, a week or so later by Secretary of State Blinken when he met President Xi and there wasn't a flag in sight. Um, we have, I think, a, a, a short clip that we can show before we come to Ian on this. Um, Omar, have you got the clip that we can see? Abbas 中方愿同巴方加强协调和合作，推动巴勒斯坦问题早日得到全面、公正、持久解决。今天我们将共同宣布，中巴建立战略伙伴关系，这将成为两国关系史上既往开来的重要里程碑。中方愿以此为契机。ثمّة وأنتهز الفرصة لأتقدم لكم بجزيل الشكر على كل ما تقدمه الصين من إسناد لحقوق الشعب الفلسطيني ونشرة قضيته العادلة أن دولة فلسطين التي تؤمن بعدالة موقفكم ستواصل وقوفها بثبات إلى جانب الصين well, um, actually, just watching that, it occurred to me that you've probably seen more than that clip that we've seen of that meeting in any of the mainstream media. And just, just uh, I thought I'd throw this in 
that is a very, very significant place. Quite by chance, when I was working for the UN, the Secretary General and a, a mere bag carrier, uh, the, the Secretary General went to meet President Xi and the Politburo, the Prime Minister, in that same room. And um, because of the sheer numbers of the Chinese officials there, they said, oh, you better come along as well, Mark. So I, I've at, I have sat in that same room and gazed at uh, President Xi and and um, uh, and listened to these very long and formal speeches. There was something significant that happened there, clearly, Ian. He said to President Abbas, uh, this is the first meeting we've had with a head of a uh, of an Arab nation this year. And, of course, we're in at the end of June, which either tells you that the Chinese are not meeting enough Arab leaders or they have paid special attention to this one. But can you tell us what you really think is going on here? Well, I've got to claim primacy. I was I was in that hall with Chu Enlai. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we better not. We better not go into what happened next. <laughs> but, but it was interesting because uh, I got an insight into the rather, um, how should we say, prismatic view of foreign affairs. I mean, I got uh, they provided us with the Chinese inner party bulletins, where they sort of current affairs, and they treated Pakistan, for example, as a socialist state because it supported China. So, you know, the grasp on, grasp on ideology and other issues was a bit wonky. Um, they have consistently supported the Palestinians, uh, mostly because it's completely effortless for them. They, have, they You know, they're not engaged in wars over, over Palestine or they don't have to provide huge financial support. Um, but I don't think they've actually fallen on their sword at any point recently, although they have given support on all of the... Um, resolutions at the UN. And, and that's the interesting bit about the uh, hypocrisy. If a Western country had taken the stance that China was, then the whole of the leadership would have been accused of anti-Semitism by our good friends over on the Eastern Mediterranean <coughs> uh, and in Washington. Uh, but, you know, China is, China is too big to calumniate, I suppose. So they're getting away with it. Now, whether China can play an actual constructive role is another story because um, really they don't have a dog in the fight, not even a Pekingese. I mean, you know, they're, uh, they're, they've got no troops involved. Their major trading block is with, um, is, is with Israel. They have a huge amount of trade with Israel, especially technology. And the Israelis buy a lot of stuff from China. And they'd be quite happy to carry on doing so and not let little kerfuffles like international relations bother them. Uh, but it's also interesting that they still, uh, they're still very strong supporters of the two-state solution at a time when the, the two-state solution, as enshrined in Oslo, is looking a bit threadbare from most other points of view. But, you know, it's, uh, it's the ghost that will not die and everybody's it's in everybody's interests from... Europe to America to the Palestinian headquarters in Ramallah to keep this alive uh, because Abbas's uh, tenure. And one of the other things that struck me is here are two people, both elderly and unelected. So they have a lot in common. Well, um, Ian, we actually, I should just mention Vicky Nicolaidis just joins us from Greece. Hello from Greece, uh, says Vicky. Um, any of you out there, wherever you are, do send in your questions to Ian. Let us know who you are, where you're from. 
uh, I mean, following on from that, Ian, it is quite interesting because the the the, the Western media was actually blindsided uh, blindsided by this uh, event and this kind of. Um, I mean, it's, it, it was a significant event in geopolitics, the pivot, if you like. Um, but some of us weren't, and and the reason being is because behind the scenes for quite some time, Palestinians have been testing out on friends um, across Europe and America this idea that really, frankly, the Americans have no interest whatsoever really in coming to their aid, um, never mind being an honest broker. The days of the shuttle diplomacy of Henry Kissinger et al. long over. Um, so really, should there be any surprise that the Palestinians are looking to China to take up the and, and hoping, presumably, that China could perhaps be one the honest brokers to start discussions. Just in passing, I noticed yesterday that the Israeli government now wants to go and meet President Xi. Well, you know, this idea of an honest broker, the Palestinians don't want an honest broker. They want an honest friend. They want someone who will say, we are going to stop paying for your weapons if you keep beating up on Palestinians. We appear to have lost your sound, Ian. Uh, your sound, uh, I think your sound is switched off. But anyway, whilst Ian's sorting his sound out... Um, Sandra in Maryport uh, asks, why is China supporting Palestine to, to have full membership of the UN, unlike the US? Ian, we still can't hear you. Your microphone seems to be switched off. Um, but in the meantime, send your comments in. Do, do follow us at subscribe to Palestine Deep Dive on YouTube. No, we have no sound from Ian. Ah, yes. You, I think we have you back now. Okay. Um, the the issue is, I can't remember where I was cut off by. Well, no, 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 the question is, the question is, why, why, you know, you can you really blame the Palestinians for 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 turning to China? And uh, and you were talking about whether they needed an honest broker or whether they needed an honest friend. Well, they they don't need um, an honest broker. An honest broker would come in and tell the Israelis, get the hell out of the occupied territories. Stop dropping bombs on Gaza. That's what they need. Um, anybody else is just providing cover. I mean, you know, the US has been exporting fig leaves to, to Israel for ever since the Oslo Accords to cover up their complete lack of interest in a solution, uh, which is where we come to the whole idea of, you know, to broker a solution means that there are win-win situations where both sides got they want. I get what they want. And it's been quite clear from Oslo. Um, I was actually with um, Edward Said when the Oslo Accords were, si were signed. And he was incandescent with disgust because he could see which way it was going to go. He said that Yasser Arafat had been sold a pup, that the Israelis had no intention whatsoever of implementing their part of the deal. And 50 years later, he's been, 40 years later, he's been proven entirely right over and over again. 
like uh, the British with the Balfour Declaration, they haven't made a promise they intend to keep. They haven't made a pledge that they take any notice of at all. And until somebody forces them to do so, they'll carry on. And as long as the so-called honest brokers in Europe and America keep saying to the Palestinians, saying to Israel, we accept your excuses. We know that you truly, deeply and sincerely don't want to build settlements that it really breaks your heart every time the settlers run rampage and that you'll do something about it. And, you know, these blatant untruths are acceptable uh, to all sorts. And the, the Chinese have been quite unequivocal. They, the, you know, for people who have provided diplomatic coverage and uh, practiced the art of diplomacy for many millennia, they can see right through the um, taurine excreta and say, nah, <laughs> You've got to stop doing that. Well, whilst on the on the on the subject of um, the U.S. Uh, and its relations with uh, Israel and with Palestine and its previous role and the previous Trump administration and this kind of pivot of the Palestinians away from America, I mean, is is it the case that there's been a change? Any real changes in? policy towards the Palestinians from the Biden administration, apart from the funding of um, some of the funding of UNRWA, which is, as you know, in crisis. What is Has there been any change between Trump and Biden? There's been some. I mean, it's a case of emphasis and uh, love. It's uh, Trump was unapologetic and triumphant about supporting the Israelis. Uh, Biden is apologetic and realises that it's wrong. I mean, but Biden is really um, very uncomfortable and visibly uncomfortable because he has several different constituencies. There's always been a constituency in the State Department, which uh, you know sees the U.S. and the U.N. as guarantors of international law, and they know the settlements breach international law. They know recognition of the annexation of the Golan Heights and the West Bank is uh, in total breach of international law. Ditto in Western Sahara, by the way. But, you know, uh, the expediency of their masters means that they will go along. But if you look at the fudge, at the way that the, um, uh, at the, at the way this is hedged over, that they've, they've left up themselves a lot of mumble room uh, so that they don't actually completely and explicitly say, we recognize the annexation or, you know, we, we, the, the that this is in any way legitimate. They keep tutting now and again. And of course, this gets the Israelis extremely upset and the lobby jumps on them like a ton of cowpats every time that they do a symbol, uh, you know, any time that they express any hesitation at accepting the Israeli view, they're preemptively dumped on. And this yeah. has this has a cumulative effect. It's, it's like the anti-Semitism. It's part of the diplomatic technique is to storm and bulldoze anybody who looks like they might oppose and you know that'll learn and they won't be doing it again uh anyone who's had the full blast of the lobby on them look what happened to jeremy corbyn um you know it's it's yeah this the, the, is the is the israel lobby um and i'm just actually whilst you're whilst you're talking about that you also mentioned in passing western sahara which which for some strange reason made me think of uh, ambassador john bolton a former national security advisor john bolton who um 
you know, because you've been actively campaigning on this issue forever, is uh, in a total agreement with you that um, Morocco should cease its illegal occupation of Western Sahara. So I suppose my question is, given that you speak to him quite a bit and you've had him on, um, you know, with the Foreign Press Association being quizzed by yourself and other journalists, what do you think that he makes of this um, warming? Not what I mean, this 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 sort of shift for the Palestinians towards Beijing. What do you think his, his thoughts might be on it? Um, sulfurous, I'd imagine. <laughs> there's, there's there's two of his pet hates colluding and and uh, together. I mean, you know, short short of the Palestinians recognizing Taiwan. Um, I think I would suspect he finds them irredeemable and that they deserve what they've get. Uh, the real, real politic comes in there, you know, as far as people like him are concerned, the Palestinians have left, they should just accept it and give up and go away. Hmm. But he doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, this isn't about John Bolton, but why doesn't he uh, extend that same logic to the, to the Western Saharans, for instance? Well, for a start, there's international law, the fact he was negotiating on it. And he also thinks that the US was made a fool because they backed the Moroccans on all sorts of false promises. And the Moroccans have taken them for a ride. They've tweaked the nose. <clears throat> they've, they've taken the money from the UN and then they set up yours over and over again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, th I think he resents that as a blow to personal pride as much as anything else, as well as to national pride. Because, I mean, he, he was working with James Baker, who was... Uh, basically given the runaround by the Moroccans. And uh, he's never really forgiven them for that. Mm. It's, so so it's, it's often in American politics, you get this strange mixture of... Um, Inconsistency. You pride. Yeah, well, no, you, you get principles, uh, but you also get this, uh, he, can't, he can't do that to me, we'll get him back. <laughs> uh, so I think I think there's an element of that here. Yes, I mean when you when you look at it, you talked about real politics. Then I mean, the the Palestinians, they're, they're many in number, they are occupied, they don't have a state, um, almost like the Kurds. They're they're a, they're a, 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 a people that much of the world would just rather just go away and keep quiet. So you have to also ask yourself, um, what's in this for China? It's not trade. It's not economics. Um, what, 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 do you, what, what do you think the Chinese political leadership are, are, are really thinking when it comes to this reach out to the Palestinians in this meeting that they've just had? It's difficult to say. I mean, the, the Chinese formulaic expressions that they used to express solidarity, that, uh, you know, the, the, the I remember my famous one, the people of San Marino and the people of China are as close as lips and teeth. <laughs> You know, which is a stretch, shall we say. Uh, and uh, yeah, apart from these grandiloquent gestures, which in the early Maoist days were probably quite true, uh, Chinese appreciation of foreign policy was, it was marked by the fact they had very little to do with it. There's nothing they could do about it, apart from Korea and Vietnam and uh, the vicinity. So the, the, it was not a big issue. Now that the Chinese Communist Party has basically abandoned ideology, I mean, ideology, as far as they're concerned, is get Taiwan, you know, keep keep Tibet, and um, I don't know, but look at the, look after the South China Sea. It's ours. 
not to mention beat up a few Indians on the Himalayas. But this shows that this is for domestic politics as well. They're showing this is they can't compete. You know, in the good old days, quote, of the Cultural Revolution, they could argue about the four rights and the three wrongs or the uh, the capitalist road. It's all a capitalist road now. It's a capitalist superhighway in China. Um, so so the, there's no big ideological issues. Mm. You see Chinese arguing about the which road to socialism. We hear it's uh, you know ch Chinese uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics. Yes, well, but the, but don't you think that the, this is an absence of it? And yeah, you don't think this is kind of a, a a smart move to really to link up with the global South more to to anchor China in as a, as a champion to speak to to the Arab street to show the Americans that actually if they're not interested, then China is and will have much of world opinion on its side. Well, you know, they've been a bit ambivalent about this. The whole, the, the, the uh, Belt and Road um, scenario was originally had a large component of what you might call popular base building in the country's concerned. But they seem to have abandoned that. It's about money making and building the bases, it's geostrategic uh, and seem to have overtaken. But on the other hand, China's built up a big constituency because it, it, you know, it hasn't occupied many of the countries. It might have repossessed a few ports here and there. And it does actually build railways and, um, and ports and, uh, and roads. So it does produce tangible goods, although, you know, by all accounts, they're, they're, they're not very well done. Um, and they tend to get up people's nostrils when they do it quite often. But, you know, in general, it's built a constituency for itself inside the United Nations and others and in the third world. So having the Palestinians on side certainly helps in the Arab street, certainly helps with the other Arab countries. Um, but then you have to set that against the fact that the, these people are competing for the constituency with the Uyghurs, for example. I mean, how do you roll in with, how do the Palestinians but, oh, and the Pakistanis and most of the Arab world roll in with a regime that has put a whole Muslim uh, population in Central Asia in a concentration camp, pretty much? You know, the, the treatment of the Uyghurs is, is despicable. Uh, but on the other hand, in this world of um, doublethink, there's a lot of people just say it's not happening. It's, it, it, it's, it's an invention. It's a... It's it's fake news. The Chinese don't do it. The Chinese really love the Muslims, and it just accidentally blew up the four minarets on the mosque in Urumqi. Yeah. Well, look, we have had some questions here. William in Ipswich, um, in uh, East England, asks: Is it poss is a possible shift in the global balance of power away from total U.S. hegemony and towards a more multipolar world? Something Palestinians can be optimistic about. Well, I think so. I mean, I've look, I've welcomed the idea that the US gets knocked off its perch over and over again. Uh, but I've never been entirely happy with the people who want to fly onto the perch. You know, you, you, you get rid of an eagle off the perch and you end up with a vulture. I mean, you know, yes, Biden and Trump bad, Putin even worse. <laughs> so the, it's, it's, uh, Yes, any weakening of that hegemony gives more wiggle room uh, because the U.S. has abused its power on behalf of 
corrupt regimes, including Israel, over and over. So, yes, it's good that that be challenged. Um, but on the other hand, if you're challenged on behalf of regimes that are equally bad, uh, equally uh, anti-democratic, in the best sense of the word, I don't mean democratic simply as, um, uh, you know, as a sort of surrogate for pro-Western. I mean, like not arresting people, not putting people in concentration camps. Um, so you, 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 it's, it's, it's good that there's some uh, shift in the hegemony. But on the other hand, the BRICS, and I've supported the attempt to de-dollarize in many ways, but can an alliance survive whose major, um, whose major reason, raison d'etre is that they, that they all oppose democracy and don't want any attempts to coerce them into it? Oh, well, that's not quite fair, is it? I mean, India is a democracy. It may have no, rather an authoritarian leader. Uh, Brazil is a democracy. Well, you can't be allowed to get away with that, Ian. <laughs> Brazil is... Brazil returned to the fold. I yeah. mean, they were under Bolsonaro. It but, was... Well, Bolsonaro was elected and he, he was beaten in office. Anyway, Mary in London asks... Um, does the Chinese commitment to supporting the now defunct two-state solution and continued negotiations between these two unequal partners undermine any hopes that this could signal a real change for the situation on the ground? Shouldn't people who want to see freedom for Palestinians, rather than unending so-called negotiations, it's quite a long question, this, which only allows Israel to continue its practice of colonizing Palestinian land and expelling Palestinians, Time is running out. So is it basically this, this support of China to the defunct two-state solution, doesn't that, really get, should, doesn't that really get in the way of what is really needed? Um, and shouldn't they really be saying there needs to be a, a one-state solution? If I can go back to my ancient history books and go back, <laughs> when I was in China, if you might remember, there was a socialist Arab country, a self-proclaimed uh, South Yemen. And the People's Republic of South, People's Democratic Republic of South Yemen had gone to the Chinese for advice. And the Chinese foreign ministry people told me, oh, we advised them, you know, you, you shouldn't you, look how many people you've got. You're, you're, you can't really call yourself a country. Call yourself a revolutionary base area and start from there to work on the rest. <laughs> and I can imagine some sort of revolutionary post-Maoist comrade saying the same thing to the Palestinians. You know, you've uh, you've got potential there. Why do you want to go to the expense of running a security state to keep anti-Israeli demonstrators down, which is what Abbas is doing most of the time. He has a huge security apparatus paid for uh, with aid money that's meant for the Palestinians to su suppress dissent and to suppress dissent against Israel. I mean, all of these Arab all of these Palestinian security forces, they never seem to be aware when, but there when the IDF comes in and shoots up refugee camps. But they'll be there if someone from the refugee camps comes out to defend against the settlers. You can bank on it. So you know, uh, many Palestinians are asking: Is is Abbas a necessary hypothesis? Mm, interesting. I mean, also, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, Abbas, he's. Uh, his authority has been hobbled by the Israelis. He's hobbled himself. So perhaps 
really, apart from the mood music of that meeting between Xi and Abbas, um, and the the signal it's supposed to 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 send, really, it doesn't amount to very much on this on the on the in the real world and on the street. From what you're saying, well, I'm saying no. It's it's important because it's saying we're here, we're here, we're here, and it annoys the Israelis, which is always worthwhile. <laughs> It, it, it annoys the Israelis because, uh, you know, they're so used to having the public fora to themselves completely. So the idea that a hugely significant power like China is repeating the arguments of the Palestinians is not insignificant. Um, it might even have some erosive, erosive effect on the Israeli public opinion and the U.S. public opinion. Because people scratch their heads and say, hang on, if the Chinese are thinking this, why are we? Why aren't we considering it? And, you know, it, American politics is, foreign policy in America is basically domestic. It is mostly in China as well. But here we have the lobbies working on this. And uh, some of them are going to say, hang on, do we value trading with China more than trading with Israel? And some of them will, you know, if... Uh, if offered the choice, they will trade with China. There's more money involved. Well, that's interesting because, I mean, as you know, the Abraham Accords um, have changed things quite substantively. You had Morocco, UAE, Qatar, uh, essentially establishing diplomatic links with Israel. Um, and yet the administration that established all of that, the Trump administration, has gone. Um and do you not think that some of these kind of also unelected Arab leaderships, North African leaderships, must be thinking, and also in the light of this recent meeting with President Xi, that really they are out of step, and certainly out of step, you would have thought, with their populations? Well, they'll have to look over their shoulders. The Moroccans are showing signs that they are carefully working on their public image. Because Moroccan public opinion, and that's one of, been one of the, consistently one of the most pro-Israeli Arab states, uh, Moroccan public opinion is overwhelmingly pro-Palestinian and, and has been for a long time, uh, Paul's show. And it's the same across the Arab world. As people mightn't want a war, but they certainly don't love the people on the other side there. Uh, as we can see by the cold peace, I mean, it's a very bold Israeli tourist who wanders through the back souks of Cairo, even after all these years, um, with, without carefully covering covering it back and looking over the shoulder. Um, that they ain't going to be friends in the near future. And when it comes to it, you know, I, I've always thought about this. You know, I I'm not the most religious of people. Wasn't Abraham the guy who dragged his son off into the desert to slit his throat as an offering to God? <laughs> and the Arabic Accords always had that ring. They were prepared to slice Palestine's throat as a sacrifice to the God of Mammon. Well, yes, I mean, you look at the those states in the Gulf especially and, the, uh, and certainly the attitude... At the moment, towards Russian oligarchs as well, it's uh, it is mammon, it's money, always money. Look, um, unfortunately, we, we we're sort of bringing things to a, a, a close. Um, and thanks for all of your questions; those of us sent them in. Um, sorry, we can't cover all of them, but I just wanted to finish with this, um, Ian, because 
you know, both in the United States where, you know, politics is, of course, always a moving feast and candidates are beginning to assemble uh, for presidential elections further down the track. Here in Britain, there's a, going to be a general election next year. There's highly controversial legislation currently passing through Parliament that would restrict uh, local authorities and other organisations from supporting boycott, divestment and sanctions campaigns uh, against Israel. How, how, how strong do you think, or how big an issue do you think Israel-Palestine will be in both elections? Of course, two quite different countries, but policies are not dissimilar. Britain tends to follow in America's wake in any event at the UN and elsewhere. How important do you think um, the Palestine in particular can be, the rights of the Palestinians? And how can people perhaps push help push that up the agenda in both countries? I think, in, to use um, George Soros's phrase, there's an element of reflexivity. People aren't looking at the issues themselves. They're looking at how their leaders deal with them. And if the leaders are seen using, you know, essentially repressing people who disagree with them, as is happening with the Labour Party and anyone who disagrees on, on Palestine and Israeli issues, um, then it could well have a kickback effect. But in general, these issues aren't big. Even in America, they've never been big. And more interestingly is that um, the majority of uh, Jewish Democrats are now against the Israeli government and policies, which is a real turnaround from the books from 20 or 30 years ago. They were always very progressive and they supported Israel because they didn't know any better. Now they've been told better because of these campaigns because of what's happening and, and they're, they're acting on it. And just as so many um, British Jews are prominent in the campaigns to defend Jeremy Corbyn and others uh, on, on the, the issues of anti-Semitism, I, th I think that's going, that, that's going to reflect. Now, one of the questions without getting into questions of lobbies and uh, cabals, it, it is a sad fact that the UK media does not really allow pro-Palestinian views. Now and again, something creeps in as an abstract principle, but, you know, the, the, the nullification of um, Jeremy Corbyn is a case in point, and they used the anti-Semitism rap to get him. It wasn't that they were concerned about, but it was the issue that they beat him up on. And... Uh, it, it shows all over the country they're deselecting members of parliament uh, in both parties, as far as I can tell. They're being squeezed out. Um, if you remember in the Al Jazeera film on the lobby, the person they were discussing removing was a Tory MP. It wasn't Labour Friends of Israel. It was Conservative Friends of Israel who had the knives out in a big way. So, yes, it's an issue, but it's an issue internal politics. And unless people... You can alienate people if you take it out there because people will say, that's all very nice, but I'm just being dispossessed from my house because the interest rates have risen. Why should I worry about someone being thrown out of a refugee camp in a suburb of Jerusalem? Um, you know, all politics is local in that sense, as uh, US Speaker Tip O'Neill once famously and much quoted said. <laughs> indeed. Well, look, thank you very much indeed, Ian. It's been a great pleasure having you on, uh, as always. 
Um, and thank you to all of you who've watched and been in touch. Um, don't forget to give us a thumbs up. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Um, this is the 75th Palestine deep dive show. So it's absolutely opposite that we should have uh, Ian on it. And also to have explored this fascinating issue and fascinating development. Uh, one in which, as Ian was just saying, has received very little interest in the Western media. However, uh, we'll have undoubtedly quite an effect. Thank you very much for joining us. So until next time, it's goodbye from all of us. Hold on.